On this episode of the Driving Improvement Podcast, my guest is Blaine Forsyth, a Stanley Cup winning assistant coach with the Washington Capitals. Now in his 14th season with the Capitals, Forsyth is an integral part of the coaching staff that led the team to its first Stanley Cup championship in 2018. A native of Calgary, Alberta, Forsyth has a reputation in the hockey community as a sharp mind who sees the game creatively and excels at working with players on an individual level to improve their skills. Despite seven head coaching changes since he joined the team, Forsyth has remained with the Capitals due to his work ethic and the respect of coaches and players alike. In this episode, we discuss the desire that's necessary to turn weaknesses into strengths, how you can be successful as a part of an ever-changing team, and what it takes to keep your focus knowing you are one win away from hoisting the Stanley Cup. All that and more on the Driving Improvement Podcast with Mark Russo right now. Welcome in, everybody, to the Driving Improvement Podcast, and I'm really excited to have my friend Blaine Forsyth on. Blaine, how are you, man? I'm doing great. Thanks. How are you? I'm good, buddy. I'm good. How uh, how things going with you, uh, everybody? Uh, healthy and happy at home with all this craziness going on in 2020? Yeah, fortunately for us, everyone's been been healthy here in our house. Uh, you know, we've had a few friends that have run into some problems, but nothing too, too, too bad. And um, it's obviously a different time for everybody, but we're trying to get through it as much as we can. Yeah, and you just, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, things didn't work out the way you guys wanted it uh, in the playoff restart and everything. Um, but, you know, what was the what was the bubble situation like in Toronto? I mean, it was it must have been kind of an odd thing. And I'm curious, you know, what that was like for you and and, you know, how difficult it was for everybody to deal with that and being kind of stuck in this one area. Yeah, for me, it wasn't too bad, to be honest with you. The way they had it set up with the NHL, it was it was really obviously well done. Um, everything was prepared for us. Um, you know, it wasn't a lot different technically, I guess, uh, from what we would do on the road other than kind of being confined in a smaller, smaller space. But the hotel we were, we were able to stay in had, had a lot of good things. Um, you know, good, good food, uh, good meeting space, um, all that kind of, kind of thing, obviously being tested every day and, and going through that kind of protocol was a little bit out of the ordinary, but for the most part, uh, it was, it was set up, uh, real well. Um, like I said, we would like to stay there a lot longer, but uh, unfortunately that didn't happen. Gotcha. And so what's the current state right now? I mean, we're going to, obviously the team is, you know, on a, a new head coach some changes made there, which you know, we'll talk about sort of some of that, uh, over your career as well, but what's the current state for you right now, you know, in terms of next year and what you're planning for next year. And, and also, you know, now that the season's going to be done here within the next couple you know weeks or so, uh, it's going to be a weird start time for you guys too, starting next season. Uh, really not sure when, what that's going to be like. So, you know, where, where are you at with all that? Um, it's just kind of a holding pattern right now. I got, I got to speak to Peter last week for probably a good half hour. We had a good conversation. Unfortunately, I've met him a few times, but nothing really, really formal. So um, I'm going to hopefully sit with him at some point uh, in the next week, um, you know, talk a little bit more. Um, you know, he hasn't made any decisions on, on his staff yet going forward. But, uh, you know, hopefully I'm in a position um, where I can where I can stay involved and, uh, you know, keep working towards that, that goal of trying to win. Obviously, he's a coach with, a great amount of experience. Um, one I would I would love the opportunity to work with, and uh, you know, hopefully for all of us, it works out in the way we want. 
Yeah. So, and talking about, you know, getting into kind of the coaching side, Blaine is, you know, talking a little bit about the coaching arc for you. It's always interesting to me to talk to people who do uh, coaching, you know, what we do and obviously we do it in different areas, but, you know, going from playing the game growing up, you know, in Canada and Calgary and, and then getting into coaching, talk a little bit about the, the, career path for you just so kind of everybody understands you know where you came from and how you sort of work to where you are now sure um it was kind of a, a long interesting path to be honest with you um i played it was division two college hockey at the time uh, in minnesota and uh graduated you know had no real desire to get back into the game once i graduated i was gonna kind of take my chances in maybe the oil industry in Calgary and, and see, uh, you know, if that would go anywhere. But about six months into it, I, I realized that I missed the game a little bit um, and started to slowly kind of phase back into it, working with some some minor hockey teams, just, uh, you know, one day a week, just being on the ice and, and being involved that way. And then a job opened up with the Calgary Hitman, the Western Hockey League. Um, and I was kind of pushed into that, into that direction um, didn't really know what it was going to entail at the time and started in, in the business side and then kind of worked my way into the coaching side and, uh, a few years into that and realized that's kind of where I wanted to be. Um, I worked with, uh, Dean Evison, who's a, a good friend of ours, obviously, and, uh, my son's godfather and, and we worked together in Calgary. And then when he left for Washington, there was an opportunity that opened up as a, as a video coach for me in Washington, um, with Dean and, uh, at the time, it was Glenn Hanlon and Bruce Boudreaux uh, for a few years. And then once I, I kind of did that for a few years, uh, sort started to slowly transition in, into more of an active role as an assistant coach. And, uh, you know, from there, just kind of kept on moving up through uh, through a bunch of different coaches. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate to work with a lot of guys that, uh, that trusted me and, and gave me a lot of responsibility. And that's how I kind of developed uh, into where I am now. Did the uh, did the did the work doing video coaching and then you went into scouting for a short a short bit as well? How did that stuff affect um, your coaching? And was it you know was it an advantage to some degree to have that experience, sort of the broad scopes of coaching once you got in a little bit deeper and then got behind the bench? For sure, for me, I mean, um, the one thing I did realize about it is is I did miss it, and obviously I was going through some family issues at the time and, uh, you know, tried to kind of salvage that, um, taking the scouting job and, and being closer to home in Canada. And, um, you know, but once I started to do that, I realized I was watching the game as a coach, maybe more than, a than watching talent and, and individuals and, and kind of understanding it that way and, and, and kind of counterbalancing the both, you know, working with an individual and, and how he plays the game versus how he is, you know, as a player. Um, so that was, uh, it was a good eye opening experience for me and maybe kind of miss being around the team a lot. Um, not having that everyday impact, whether small or big that, that you can have potentially with, with a group of players. Um, and then after that year, um, fortunately they, they wanted to take me back and, and I wanted to be back and uh, I was in a position at that time to do it. So, um, you know, never look back from that point and I've kind of been all in from, from, from then on. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, getting into real quick too, just a question came up in my head when we were, I was preparing a little bit, Blaine, and I was thinking about the scouting part a little bit. And uh, I think I had a little bit of uh, discussion with Dino when I had him on too. And, um, you know, we talk a lot about seeing potential in players and coaches. I've seen people I coach on the lesson T with, with talent. Um, and then there's this like fine line between the talent and the desire to actually take it somewhere um, were there any, when you were doing some of the scouting, were there any surprises of maybe guys that you saw out there um, that made it that you didn't? And maybe some that were, you know, you thought, man, this guy's a, a no brainer 
and just never panned out. Yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, in that they have a hard job because you're projecting, you know, long term in that situation development, and and there's so many factors. It's not just hockey itself. It's off ice. It's personality. It's how they fit within the group. Um, you know, place everything, and, and you're dealing with with players from all over the world. So, you know, it's easy to to go a couple hours down the road and, and play for a different team. But when, when players and young players, especially are traveling across the globe to, to move to a different country, speak a different language, there's, there's a ton of factors that go along with it. But, you know, with that question, um, I always ha- have a good joke with uh, Ross Mahoney, our, our assistant GM now who, who handles our, our, uh, our prospects and our draft and all that kind of stuff that I, I got a chance to see Ryan O'Reilly a lot, um, just proximity where I was in Toronto um, really liked the player. There was a lot of knocks on him with, with skating and, and whatnot, but his hockey mind was incredible to me. Um, I think he ended up going early in the second round. I probably had him in, in my uh, draft list at the time pretty high, probably higher maybe than, than I should have, but I really liked the player. I liked his mind a lot, and uh, obviously he turned into a great player now. Um, with that said, I, I'm sure I had guys that, that were higher, in my opinion, than, than they should have been and, and didn't end up turning out. So it's, it's not easy. Um, you know, other than the first, maybe few picks, it, it gets real interesting. Um, that's why you see teams kind of go off the, off the grid at times and, and really find a player that they they're involved with and they like, and then, and then it works out. And sometimes it doesn't, uh, you know, if it was a situation where you can have all seven picks or more picks, uh, in the draft workout, then, then it would be a pretty easy situation, but, uh, it, it just shows how, how good they are, what they, what they do. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be difficult. Um, so when we when we get into a you know normal uh, season, and just to kind of give everybody a sense of what it looks like for you, say we have a you know standard DC seven o'clock PM start time, um, and what's the day look like for you uh, on a day of a game? Uh, well, I'm a creature of habit. I mean, you can ask anyone of that, uh, anybody about that, but uh, for me. Typically, I like to get up pretty early, 5, 5.30 in the morning and get over to the rink right away and, and get a quick workout and kind of settle my mind and, and get, you know, involved in the day. And um, from that point, you know, depending on we've had different coaches here, um, how their schedules work, um, just to give you the most recent with, with Todd and even with Barry, the last five, six years, we would meet about 7, 7.30 um, in the morning on a game day, uh, go over the five on five portion of, of what we were going to present um, within the team meeting kind of prepare for a pregame skate if we were set up to have a pregame skate that day. Um, we do do our meetings in the morning. Other than the power play, I would do that at night. We do our penalty kill meeting and our 5-on-5 our five five meeting in the morning, um, do our pregame skate, um, you know, work with the extra guys after that aren't playing that night. Um, and then from that point, it's getting close to noon, you know, we grab a quick lunch. And I'm fortunate I live close to, close to our practice rink, so I'll come home for a few hours in the afternoon and take a little rest or uh, – pick up my son from school if I can um, in that situation. Then I head down to the rink uh, usually about, about 3.30, get there at 4 o'clock for a 7 o'clock game. Okay, and we talk about, you know, working with the players, you're talking about in the morning skate, maybe getting a little extra work. And I wanted to kind of go down that road a little bit with you too, um, Blaine, because, you know, you do have a, a, a reputation in, in, in different circles through the hockey community for that skill development and spending time with the players. Um, how much of – individual skill development um, because this is really interesting to me as a as a golf coach how much individual skill development is needed at an nhl level um you know when a player gets up to the highest league you know what what fine-tuning needs to happen how much of that do you really need to do with players i i personally think a ton um 
with the way that the schedule set up for the season with practices and games, there's not a lot of time to work on skill stuff. Um, typically it's after practice. And then when you're looking at top minute guys, typically your better players, um, you know, they, they practice and, and they're typically more fatigued. They play more minutes. Um, so they're, they're not hanging around as much after as some of the guys that play lower minutes. Um, and with that said, that's the, that's the stuff for them. If you talk to any high end player, that's the stuff that goes quickly is their skill. I mean, they feel probably their most skilled um, in the summer when they have time to, to work on it, whether it's individual or in groups and they feel like they're quick and their hands are, are their timing is good. Their hands are good, all that kind of stuff. But as the season goes along, just, just given the fact of the schedule, it's tough to kind of maintain that high level. So in, in my situation, Arnie's, uh, you know, Reed Cashman, when we was here last year with the defenseman, you know, we would try to put emphasis on that. And, and even the guys that did play minutes, even to spend, you know, an extra 10, seven, seven to 10 minutes a day after practice, just working on something that, you know, they've, they've struggled with, whether it's their timing or their hands or something like that. Um, it goes a long way. And like I said, any top end player will, will agree that it's tough to kind of maintain that high level of skill that you, you have coming into training camp uh, just due to the schedule. So I'm a big fan of it. Obviously uh, we have a good group here in Washington that the guys like to do that kind of stuff too after practice or even before practice at times. So it makes my job a little easier. It's just coming up with, with something that can individually help uh, uh, each, each player because everyone's a little bit different in that sense. Yeah. So we talk about skill development and, and learning uh, through the process and, you know, in, in the, in the golf side, we have this terminology that comes up often where it's block versus random practice where, you know, you're working with a swing motion with one club, you got one target um, versus uh, randomizing targets, uh, lies, different things, basically playing the game. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you um, balance those things and in, in, in your coaching with players? Is there a block versus random type of practice that you use or uh, is it more one-sided uh, with skill development with them? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, obviously everyone wants to sit in a slot and, and shoot one-timers when it comes to hockey, but realistically in that, in the game, it doesn't happen a lot. So you, you try to simulate as much game situation as you can and movement as you can, um, whether it's pulling pucks off the boards, um, shooting from different angles, um, which would be equivalent to, you know, a tough lie in golf that you, you kind of, you get, and I get them a lot, trust me. Um, you kind of have to work through in, in a different setting and, and rather than just, you know, hitting balls off a tee on the range um, where everything's static. So, you know, you, you want to give them that aspect of feeling good and shooting the puck and, and, and getting into those spots that, that they feel comfortable shooting. But at the same time, you want to put that uncomfortability in them a little bit as well to know, okay, yeah, you can shoot that. But what if I'm in your face? You know, I need to change the angle a little bit. I need to adjust. I need to shoot off my back foot. I need to release it quicker, just things like that. So you try to kind of tap into that that mindset of of creating that game game situa- situation, but also, you know, realizing what you're doing. You're you're trying to get better, and and it's no different in golf for me. Um, so that's the kind of thing we, we'll talk about all the time. And then some guys just want to feel good and shoot pucks. Like Jacob Brana for me is a guy that if he's struggling a little bit, you know, he wants to just feel the puck and shoot it and, and pick spots and stuff like that. And, and that's fine. And mentally, that's what he needs to to kind of be- get him back on track. Where other guys want to. A little bit more difficult situation where you know they don't get positions like like V does in the game with his speed that that they have to do things differently. So you, you kind of create that through through different levels of of practicing and that skill development. All right, so you hit on something there that that is definitely a big a big part of what I, I like learning in these things. And you talked about making 
making the situations harder and putting a guy, you know, in their face. And we talk often in these conversations about failure. So that sort of opens that door pretty quickly for me. And that's, you know, how important is it to, to make the practice and the skill development and getting into game situations, making it harder on guys? Um, you know, I'm a big fan of failure and, and changing things up and, and making it as hard as you can so that game time is not. Um, how important is it to do that to guys, again, at the highest level in, in the world? I think it's real important, and, and they have to have the right mindset, too, and, and just to stay with it and realize, you know, what a guy like TJ Oshie, for example, can do with the skill level. It, it's not – it's he's a one percenter in that situation for me. So to create a, the same drill for, you know, a guy with a little bit less skill, it, it might not make sense, but it does if, if you see the improvement um, and – and it could be something simple, um, a simple shooting drill that some guys just just struggle with. But at this level, I find more um, than I did in junior. The guys are willing to stick with it because they know um, they're getting better. And whether they see marginal improvement early or a big improvement right away, um, anytime you can create that mental confidence, um, it, it just translate, translates to the game. Um, and like any, any athlete in any sport, uh, like we all know, if you're confident, you gotta you have a real good opportunity to not only be success, successful individually, but as a team as well. And and to create that confidence in, in a practice setting, that's that's what you want to do as much as you can. So when they go into that game, they feel if they get that opportunity that they've been working on, that they have an opportunity to score. And that's that's the key to, to everything is just seeing that that consistent improvement daily. Yeah, and you bring up something there too about you know kind of the the guys at this level. Uh, willing to do the skill stuff versus the younger guys at the lower levels who are trying to make it there. I mean, is that is that desire to to spend the extra time and to fall on your face and fail? Is that often sometimes the big differentiator between the elite players inside of the mid range guys who are trying to make it over the hump? For sure. I mean, in, in that setting, it, it has to be because that's their job and that's their life and and that's their livelihood. So um, there's way less reluctance to to work on things. Um, you know, especially with with guys that do have the opportunity to spend extra time out there. They, they want to do it. I, I, I've been fortunate, like I said, here with a great group over the last eight, 10 years that, that I've been doing this uh, kind of at, at the end of practice that guys want to do it. It's not too too hard to pull guys into a drill or if you start a drill early and which we'll do it a lot, you'll, you'll see kind of guys hanging around because they have some interest in doing it. So um, I think you have to at this level, you, ha- you have to understand that there's someone ready to take your job if, if you're not preparing the right way and, and guys do understand that they don't they don't take it for granted for the most part and they're willing to, to do the extra in order to secure you know their future and, and that's what's cool to me is I love being part of that and, and keeping guys around and making sure they, they do have a future whether it's here or whether they move on and they sign a, a big contract like uh, Jay Beagle is a good example you know right. I spent a ton of time with Jay over years and years and and as, as disappointed as, as I was for him to leave as a, as a person and a player I was also happy for him because he got to a level here that no one expected him to get to. Um, you know, he was able to, to provide for his family for the future with his, with his contract in Vancouver. He won to stay on the cup here. And that's the kind of stuff that, that drives me. Um, not only that, seeing that team success with us as a group, but seeing that individual success and just understanding that it is business and, and in a perfect world, everyone would stay, but that's not the situation you want them to go on and, and at least be, be a factor somewhere else and a positive factor. Yeah, that's, and, Another part, too, that I think is uh, kind of interesting to, to deal with, too, is sort of the ups and downs. We talk often about also about sort of the ups and downs of getting better. It's never kind of the straight line straight up the hill. It's never that way. It's peaks and valleys in it. Um, how important is 
you know, confidence and all this. And how often are you dealing with guys where they just right now at that moment, because we deal with this in golf so often too, it's a confidence thing, maybe not even be a skill thing. It's just a confidence thing. How often are you dealing with that? Uh, Every other day. It seems like, you know, there's (laughs) there's always one or two player players that you can just tell there's something going on with them mentally, um, you know, whether they're not as sharp in practice, you know, they're a little bit, uh, uh, I guess, away from what they normally are. And, and then that situation, you know, the best thing is to, to maybe not do a little extra after, after practices, maybe sitting down and watching video. And, uh, you know, one thing I've done in the past is, is grabbed a, a game that I know a player has played his best at, you know, and just looked at those shifts with them and just say, okay, well, here's the difference, you know, look where you are in this situation. Now look where you are in this other situation, this different game, you know, you're not getting to those areas that you were when, when your confidence was high. And, and I mean, everyone, everyone in the world, whether it's sports, um, um, you know, home life, school, doesn't matter what it is. Uh, there, there's confidence that, that needs to be tapped into. And some people just lose it. And you don't know why at times it just goes away. And, and that's part of, for me, understanding the player individually and, and knowing what they need at that time. And um, like I said, it's, it's every other day. You always can kind of tell when, when someone's battling something mentally and, and, you know, hopefully you're there to, to kind of to push them in the right direction and just give them the tools that they need to, to, to make themselves feel better about, about their game or, or whatever it is. It could be an off ice issue as well. So it's just, uh, just being there and being a coach, but also being a, a friend as well. You know, and you're talking there, Blaine, about adapting, you know, your coaching. And I think for me, it, it, it's always interesting how you can, you have to adapt to the player in front of you. And, um, you know, some, like you're talking about showing good video there and showing positive reinforcement. What, you know, how difficult is it to figure out which way to motivate a player? Cause some are going to need a kick in the butt. Right. And then some are going to need the positive pat on the back. And it's to me, coaching is just this adapting to that person in front of you where they are that day. It could be totally different the next day, but so it's so different every day. And that's the biggest thing is, is just understanding not only the, the player, but the person too. And everyone's different and everyone has different things that make them tick. Um, and, you know, I, I do take a lot of pride in that personally, just to, to get to know the person a little bit and, and kind of see um, what motivates them, you know, what doesn't motivate them, what, what they like to do, what they don't like to do, um, and, and try to kind of help them navigate in, into an area that they're, they're, they're getting confident. And um, like I said, and if, if you have confidence, you have the ability to do anything that you, you physically can and to get players like that every day it's it's tough you know i've seen it obviously when we were fortunate enough to win a few years ago where you just sit back and let them roll because the confidence is there and there's other times where they they need a push and they need a kick in the butt or or whatever it is uh to get them going and like i said every every player is different you just have to monitor how you handle the player as much as you can and and if that doesn't work then you got you gotta try something else and and they know that um and they're willing to do it for the most part it's just uh finding what makes them tick every day. And like I said, it, it might not be something on the ice. It might be a discussion with, with their family, or how, how the kids do and the kids like school. It, it could be anything like that, just to kick their mind into a setting where they're not just focusing on one area of their life. And, and that typically I find helps a lot. How would you uh, describe your style of coaching? I think it's, it's changed over the years. I think, you know, when I first started in junior, everything was a little different back then when, especially when you're dealing with kids that are 16 to, to 20 years old, it's a little bit more father figure. It's maybe a little bit more firm. 
Um, but as, as I've been around a little bit more in the NHL, you, you kind of learn, you, you learn about different coaching styles and, and obviously fortunately, but unfortunately I've been around a lot of guys that you, you learn from, um, you, you know, Dean's a great example. And I coached a lot of years with Dean took a lot of his stuff. I'm sure he's taking a lot of my stuff and, and, and kind of adapting to, to the new game because players are different, you know, dealing with a 35 year old veteran that has two kids is, is different than dealing with a 21 year old, uh, you know, European kid that comes over here and barely speaks English. It's, it's just a, a lot different. So, um, you know, you, you learn every day. I learn every day uh, what to do, what not to do, um, where I've made mistakes, where I haven't. Um, and then just keep pushing forward and, and trying to, to spark or find that spark within an individual and, and hopefully, you know, help, help that individual translate into, into the team setting. Um, but for me, I, I don't think I'm a, I'm not a huge yeller and screamer. Um, I'm not a super talkative guy, as you know, but, uh, I'm engaged in conversation and, uh, I like the one-on-one stuff. Um, I like the team stuff too, you know, re- relaying messages, but it's just, every day is a little bit different and what I used yesterday might not work today. And that's uh, the adaptability of, of being a coach for sure. Yeah. And, and adapting is a good word to use for my, my next point here too, is that, cause I think you've got an interesting perspective, honestly, Blaine, for people, not, not really just even in coaching, but in, in any, you know, profession about changing uh, work situations or dealing with new teams and teams, meaning not just players, but coaching staffs, mm-hmm. you know, you've been around a long time with this organization now, and you've been through now you're on your, I think your seventh head coach and uh, <laughs> the time you've been here. And yet you've done something that a lot of people in this league that do not, and, and a lot of professions with that much turnover don't do You've maintained and you've, you've stayed. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the the big question here for a lot of people is, how do you how do you do that? How do you keep adjusting, knowing everybody's got their different coaching styles? How is it that you've been able to uh, continue uh, to stay on? A lot of luck, I think, is, is part of it, um, for sure, in this business. Uh, you know, you see your friends come and go every day. Um, like I said, I've been fortunate, but at the same time, I've, I've tried to, to learn every day. And I think every coach that's ever came in here has said, you know, that guy's willing to learn. He's willing to do whatever and, and work hard. Um, as a guy that didn't play in the NHL, um, I think about that every day as much as I wanted to as a kid. And even when I was 20 years old, I, I wanted to, and I wasn't able to do that as a player. So if I have the chance to be in the NHL in some form, and fortunately it is as a coach, then I'm going to do whatever it takes to stay here. Um, I like to think I'm a, uh, you know, a good guy to be around. And as far as the coaching staff, I'm pretty quiet and reserved, but uh, I like to have some fun too and, and fit in with, with whoever. Um, the one thing I've learned is is just coming, whoever comes in, if, if I'm still here, is just to have an open mind because um, everyone is a little bit different. Everyone runs the bench different. Everyone teaches systems different. Um, and for me, I, rather than look at, at it as being stubborn and this is how we had success before, blah, 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 I'd rather just say, okay, that's that's cool. I like to try that to see if it works, you know, um, and have that adaptability as, as a coach and an individual. And, and just to be able to fit in with, with the group is, is the key thing. Um, you know, if, you, if you're a good teammate to a coaching staff uh i've always kind of felt that you're going to go a long way and, and people are going to going to trust you and that's the biggest thing and and uh you know work with you and be willing to work with you and if you can have that trust uh within yourself and and within your your staff whoever it is um typically it's it's going to work out in a positive matter matter one of the points too you, know, you talk about adapting and learning and i think that's that's great because you know as coaches we always have to keep doing that i think the one thing i've talked to other 
you know, teachers and teachers and coaches about is when you learn inf- new information, you're trying to get better. Uh, sometimes it can be difficult to sort that information and maintain who you are in your style of coaching. You get so much flooded. There's so much info out there and everything. Okay. Uh, is that difficult for you when you, you've got all these different head coaches, they're all got these different ideas and methods and preferences mm-hmm. to still say, okay, I'm, I'm open, but this is who I am as a coach. Yeah. And that, you have to find that balance because you, you don't want to take that away. And that's the one thing in my position, position with the players here that I've worked with for a long time is, is they know me, you know, they know, they know me in a positive way. They know me in a negative way. They know me as off the ice. Um, so for me to change who I am, they're going to see right through it. And, and I wouldn't like myself if I did. So you have to have that balance where you're, you're yourself. Um, you're the guy that they trust um, that you're not going to change or, or, or be different. But with that said, you're also going to understand that, that there is different ways to, to learn. There's different ways to coach. There's different ways to, to get better. And as long as you're getting to that end game, however it is, um, staying within yourself and, and understanding that and, and not stepping on toes doing that, um, that's the way to do it. In, in my opinion, I, like I said, I could be wrong. That's the way I've, I've always kind of had the philosophy that I, I want to keep myself, but I, I still want to learn. And I still want to, you know, if I, if I pick up something from another coach that I like and, and I can utilize that somehow, or, and it could be in a different setting, then I, I want to do that. But not lose myself doing it and stick to, to what I've, I've learned and what I've built, uh, personally. Um, but also still with the understanding that there's growth there. Um, there's always going to be growth there from the time I'm, you know, from the time I was 27, 28, when I started this till, till I am 60 years old and hopefully still doing it. Um, there's always going to be room for growth and learn learning. Yeah. Well, that's, that's perfectly said, man, honestly. Um, so we we get into uh, happy times of 2018, um, and you know the cup run, um, you know that we were all obviously following very closely. And how much I imagine that that whole scenario at, at this point is like this big whirlwind in a way. It's such a long season because um, you guys start in a normal year. You, know, you start in September with camp, but the season starts October, and by the time you guys were done, it's June. Um, how much do you remember from that whole cup run, honestly, from 2018? You know what? Honestly, after it happened, not a lot. But as the years kind of transpired here, you start to remember little things more. Um, you remember, I remember personally, I remember games more vividly than than anything. You know, there was a few games that I, whether it was positive or negative, that you just had, had that kind of recollection and that drawback to um, – but the biggest thing as I remember, I think after we beat Pittsburgh, everything just kind of settled down. Um, after we kind of mentally got over that hurdle, um, went into Tampa a few days later, and there was just this different swagger with the group. Um, not in a bad way at all. It was just like, you know what? We're here. We're, we're going to do this. And, and from from a coaching aspect, it was remarkable to me how we still did what we did. We, we still game planned. We still, you know went through video we still did everything that we would normally do but you just had this feeling that we got this guys from from the group we got it and you know the bench was different um there was just this confidence that was you couldn't you couldn't replicate it as much as we've tried over the last couple years you couldn't replicate what we had going in that situation and that's the kind of thing that i remember is it was almost on cruise control when you get to a point like that where they had the belief, they believed, they believed in the system, they believed in each other, and they believed in us as a coaching staff. 
and that's all they needed. And uh, you, you gave them as much as, you, as they needed, and that was it, and they would take it from there. And, um, our leadership group is fantastic. Our, our core group, um, bottom end, third, fourth liners were, were fantastic. Like, we just had so much from everybody, and it, it wasn't every game. It was someone different every game. Um, obviously, in the final, there was different guys that, that stepped up that maybe – didn't have as big of an impact earlier in, in the playoffs, but that's the kind of stuff you need. And, and obviously our, our, our goaltender was unconscious, you know, he, he just made saves. That's what he did. And so everything was, was working in that situation. And it has to, I mean, like you said, it's an 82 game season. It's, I think, like you said, June 11th, I think was the, the day of game five when we ended up winning. Um, and then, then a quick short summer after that, but it's a long season. Um, but with that said, you, you can't replicate it as much as you want to, but when you have that opportunity, you have to relish it. And our guys believe that they, they created that opportunity and they did and, and nothing was going to stop them at that point. Yeah. What is it like, uh, you know, you brought up the whole, um, the whole Pittsburgh thing and beating Pittsburgh and, you know, I would say I, as a lifelong Capitals fan, I certainly don't mind talking about that one. Um, but it was, to me, that was um, something different. And I think every, you know, if we talk about it in golf terms, it's it's dealing with a hole or a course or a situation that you've run into uh, that you just seem to screw it up every time and finally getting yeah. over that hump. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden having this liberation that was like, okay, now I, I can do this. Um, so it, it just seems like that was such a massive confidence booster for the whole team. It's like, okay, everybody's been beating us down with this narrative for however long it's been going on. Now we just crushed it. No, that, that was the biggest thing for me. And, and the coolest thing for me in that whole situation is the way we did it. Um, I think we went into game six against Pittsburgh and we ended up winning the series with no Nick Backstrom, no Tom Wilson, um, no Andre Burkowski, I think. So three of our top nine forwards. I think we had Nathan Walker in there. We had um, Travis Boyd played in that game. And I think Alex Jason actually scored the first goal in that game. So we we won that game with not a typical group. And that just showed, for me, that showed the character of our organization as a whole, that we had guys that were willing to go in there in a big moment and do what they did. <clears throat> they do what they did, sorry. And the way we won it was really cool for me, just looking back on that now. And, and the type of game we had to play to win that, win that game and win that series was a little different than we typically ha- had because we didn't have, you know, as much skill in the lineup with Miss and Nick and, and obviously Tom and, and, and Berkey and, and those types of guys. And, and just to have that mindset that we were going to play a certain way as long as it took um, until we got our opportunity. And fortunately we did with the right guy and, and we were able to win that series. But um, the confidence that was created from that series, uh, I don't think it can be measured. I think everyone probably has a different, different, feel on it, um, whether it's a player or as a coach, but I know how I felt walking out of that building. Um, I think I phoned my wife right away and said, like, we did it. You know, that was pretty cool to me, that feeling that, okay, now what's next? And, and there was no, there was no, um, sitting back after that point. It was like, okay, did we beat Pittsburgh or are we just going to be good with that? And from game one against Tampa, um, I think we, we dominated game one. So there was that, that confidence that, kind of kept pushing forward versus just being happy with what we accomplished. And, and there was more out there and we, we knew we wanted it. Yeah. And it, that leads me nicely into the next piece here too, Blaine is, and that's, this is something that a lot of golfers struggle with. Um, and that is, you know, they know they've got a good round going. Uh, the scorecard sits open, maybe three holes left 
and they know where they're at um, and the ability to finish it out. So, you know, you guys get in that situation um, and you, you end up finishing the whole deal, but specifically getting into the Stanley cup final, like, you know, you lose game one and then, you know, play great. Uh, you know, we get some, uh, the save and we get some other great timely scoring from a lot of people. And then you get to up three games to one. And now, you know, you're one game away mm-hmm. from hoisting the cup. I'm interested uh, to understand what it's like from your perspective as a coach and also just keeping the players in check to not look ahead and overstep that you still have to play a, a 60 minutes here or in the scenario I described earlier, three holes left or whatever it may be. No, I mean, that's huge. I've done that in, in golf and in both ways too. So it's a great comparison. <laughs> Sorry. But I think in my opinion that yeah, game five was probably the worst game we played in the series and you, you could feel the tenseness. But with that said, there was also that just hang around mentality because we did it in so many different ways. And the experience that we gained through those different games in those different series, you know, being down to nothing against Columbus, you know, being up three, one, one against Vegas, you have, you know, so many peaks and valleys that you just have to focus on. And our biggest thing as a coaching staff was, it's one game. That's all it was. We're not looking forward. We're not looking back. It doesn't matter. We're going to focus on one game. It's no different in golf is you said it, you know, you shoot 200 on the front and you're like, Oh, okay. I got a chance here to, to shoot 68, 69. And then you start thinking about the end game rather than the next hole and, and what you did to get to that point. Um, you know, so that was the biggest thing for us is to make sure we got that message is yes, we're up three, one, we deserve to be up three, one, but we got to this point for a reason and we cannot change what we were doing. We cannot look forward. We cannot think about what's going to happen at home. We can, we got to eliminate that. And, and naturally you're, you're going to start thinking about that. Okay. What if we win? What if we lose? It, it, it's, it's a natural tendency, but the more you can, you can rely on your experience and what you've done to get you to that point, in my opinion, was, was a huge factor for us to allow us to stay around in that game in order to make a comeback, but also just have that confidence that whatever was going to happen come the third period that we were going to be in a position to make an impact. And, and that's when we, we took the game over. I mean, that the third period was, was obviously opportunistic, but it, it was fortunate. But with that mindset, there was no thought of, okay, we were, it might've been better in my opinion that we were down because now we just focused on what we had in front of us versus all of the fluff that was going on around us. And there was a lot of it, trust me. Um, and that, that ability to just shut everything out and play one period and, and win that game was, was fantastic. And it was just a fitting end to, to the whole playoff kind of situation that we went through. Um, like I said, with the Columbus series, the Pittsburgh series, and even the Tampa series, you know, being up to nothing and then losing three in a row. And so we went through every, every type of experience, um, in, in that playoff to get us to that one period. And, you know, it all culminated to, to, you know, what happened at that point. Mm-hmm. Does it, you know, now that you've done it, and this may seem like kind of a weird question, but I, I just, does it seem like it's harder to do again? It's been a couple of seasons, but does it seem like it's harder to do again now that you've done it once? Or in a way, you know, as long as you execute, does it seem like, okay, it might be a little easier if we get in that position because at least we've been there. At least, you know, your core is still there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just curious if you think it's harder now or made slightly easier by the experience? I think it's a, gr- a great question, to be honest with you, because I don't know the answer. I'd like to think the fact that the core of our group went through it, ha- has an understanding of what it takes to, to get to that point, um, that that experience should help 
Um, you know, with that said, there's so many different factors that come in, in with that. It could be a playoff matchup that you you have or, or you think is a good one. It's not or, or vice versa. But it, at the end of the day, all of that stuff, it has to be blocked out and we have to draw back to experience and, and positive experience as much as we can. No different in golf. If, if you see the shot in your mind that you're going to hit, you know, there's a chance that you're going to you're going to hit that shot if, if your confidence level is right. It's no different with with hockey and and to have that experience that we did have a few years ago and 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 to your point, like we talked about earlier, even that that fear of failure that we we did go through for so many years, um, that driving factor that you don't want to fail again and and if you're going to get into that position, not only do you know what it takes to to win, but also you you know what happens um, when you don't do the right things and end up losing. Um, I wish there was a perfect formula. You know, we did a lot of studies on on teams that repeated, um, teams that didn't, you know, just different things that we could draw from that maybe they used, whether it was, you know, Pittsburgh a few years ago or even different sports. Like, I know uh, there was a lot of uh, talks with other coaches from other sports that, um, you know, the, the hurdles that they went through trying to repeat, um, what things to avoid, what things to, to focus on. So, um, you know, the work was there. It was just a matter of, of putting it together at the right time. And uh, to answer your question, that's a long, long answer, I guess. But to answer your question, I, there isn't a perfect formula. Um, you just have to rep- replicate as much positive experience as you can and, and hope to draw from from that and, and hope to get them pointed in the right direction that, that bus just starts running itself like it did in 2018. And, and that's all, that's all you strive to do is make sure it's moving in the right direction. How much of what you talk about, you know, cause you're talking about blocking things out and it's, and it's interesting to me too, Blaine, because it's how much of what you do with the players, you know, obviously they have work they got to do physically and, you know, and hockey's maybe a little bit different in, in that respect from golf. And, you know, if you're doing something bad, you can still throw your weight around. You can work harder in your own end and, and put some effort level in. It can make a difference. Golf, maybe not so much, but how much of, especially at the elite level, are you dealing with the mental side versus the skill and physical development side? I, I think it's become 50-50 in my opinion. Um, and and you, you look at players and players from all sports, athletes from all sports, you know, they're using um, not only skills coaches um they're using mental coaches as well so they they deem it important so we have to we have to deem it important with them as well so any opportunity they have to gain a mental edge they're they're going to try it um like i said whether it's a a mental coach or or someone that can help them um keep their mind in in the right direction and then you have to you kind of have to balance that with the work that that they have to put put in on or off the ice um and understand that some guys get tired mentally and, and they need a break. Some guys need to be pushed a little bit more, um, but they're taking it seriously. Now all the athletes have a person that they talk to or, or, or someone that can help them with a mental part of their game. So we take it seriously. Um, I know in the past we've had guys that have came in and, and, and done that with, whether it's an individual or a group um, in that setting, whether it's a team building exercise or, or a speaker that, that can kind of tap into that, that mental edge or working towards that mental edge. Um, so with that said, it's, it's probably 50% of our days now, whether it's working with the player on the ice, off the ice, um, just tapping into that mental mindset in order, in order for them to feel at their best, that they can achieve what they want to individually and, and transfer that into a team setting. Um, it, it's, it's just part of the game. That's the way it is now. Um, it wasn't 15, 20 years ago, but now it is. And, uh, 
it's just another opportunity or, 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 a, or a tool for, for someone to get better. And if, if they're willing to try it and use it and it helps them, then I'll be it. You've been doing this for a while. So the question comes up then, I mean, what do you love about coaching? I love the challenge every day. It's, it's to, to make something work that didn't work. Um, it's to keep something working that has been working. Um, it's having conversations um, that are different every day. Um, it's being with, I, I, I'm a huge fan. And, and as you know, golf is, is my favorite game for sure, but I'm a huge fan of, of the team aspect and, and that burn that you lose that, that what are we going to do to the next game? How can we get better? Um, you know, that, that feeling after a, a big win, um, enjoying it with, you know, your coaching staff, your trainers, the players, it doesn't matter. Just that, that's the kind of stuff that drives me um, as an individual um, being around that team and going through things together. You know, it's the golf course is a little different where you, you go through, through things yourself and, and you have to work your, your mental edge, whether, you know, the, the professionals obviously have their caddies that help and stuff like that or the coaches, but between those ropes, they're the guys that has to, has to do it. Um, fortunately for us, it's a team thing. Um, so you have to rely on other guys to do it, which is, it's difficult at times, but um, you have to do it in a, in a team game like that. And, and the best teams usually have the best individuals that that want to ha- have that te- team success. So I love being part of part of that that you know puzzle and a small piece in that puzzle. Um, and like I said, that that burn of the loss or, or that feeling that you get from the win is is what drives me and, and wants me to be a coach and a better coach every day. Awesome. Uh, all right, man. So before. Before we sort of wrap things up here, because um, I keep firing all these questions at you forever here, but uh, I got some some golf and hockey sort of rapid fire ones I want to finish with. So we'll we'll start with your favorite sport, golf. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's your favorite player? Whew. That's a tough one right now for me. I I actually like watching the young players right now. Um, so I'm not a big Bryson DeChambeau fan. I'm not going to lie, but um, Colin Morikawa, I like like him watching him. Mm-hmm. Like even the Matthew Wolf you know, somebody that's a little bit different, how long they hit it and, and how much their mental game has, has kind of changed the game, uh, you know, hit it as far as you can and deal with it versus um, watching some of the older players that precision is everything. So I, I'm a big fan actually right now watching a lot of the younger players and, and how they navigate the golf course and, and even seeing them yesterday in the U.S. Open final, you know, when, when the pressure's on, what happens, um, you know, that kind of thing. So um, the game is different. I, I don't hit the ball like those guys. I wish I did. Um, it must be a lot easier and more fun, but uh, I like watching the way that they play golf now. Um, there's not a lot of fear. Um, they just go after it, and it, it's kind of fun for me to watch those guys. But with that said, I still do enjoy watching some of the older players as well and the way they, they think through the golf course and and, and take what's there um, and take their opportunities when, when they're there. So it's, it's a good balance. I can't say I have a favorite guy, but uh, there's a lot of guys I like to watch. How about uh, we got, you know, we still got another major this year because this year is obviously all kind of screwed up, but uh, favorite major championship? Oh, I think it's got to be the Masters. I don't know if it's just a TV thing for me. Um, just the visuals that you get. Um, it's just phenomenal. The color of green for me is is different when, when you turn the Masters on, on TV. Yeah. Um, you know, the drama is always good. And for me, um, having a course that, you know, I've never played there, unfortunately, but you, we know the course because we watch that same course every year, you know, where you got a chance to make a move, you know, where a chance you got to get through or the areas of the course that you got to get through. 
um, versus, you know, a U.S. Open where it's somewhere different every year and you don't necessarily know the course as well. So I like that, that, that thought process of understanding the course. And like I said, the, just visually watching TV, uh, the Masters is my favorite. Yeah, well, that's well. Then you should be happy because the next two majors are at Augusta, so <laughs> no November and April, so perfect. Uh, all right, so a last couple here. Uh, we got to throw some hockey ones, given my background with the game. I got to throw that out there. So, uh, and you can, you, by the way, you can call pass here if you want to. Okay, so you don't hurt anybody's feelings. <laughs> but uh, best best goalie in the league right now. Uh, I think. Andre Vasilevsky is probably the best goalie in the league right now. I think there's a lot of good ones. Um, I think when Braden Holtby won with us in 2018, I would argue that he was the best in the league at the time. But uh, for, for me right now, I think just, just the physical presence, uh, even being at ice level with them, there's not a lot in that. Um, you have to make him move. And with that said, that's not easy either because he moves really well. So for me, that, that's the best goalie in the league. How about uh, best all-around defenseman? Oh, a tough one. I'm a big John Carlson fan. Um, I think the offensive game for me is is, is elite. I think he's he's the top offensive defenseman in the league. I think he's turned into a, a very good defensive defenseman. Um, you know, this year was a tough year for him, um, losing Matt Niskanen and just that depth of that right-handed defenseman. He played a ton, and I think he had career record career points uh, for season. He's obviously a Norris candidate. Um, all around, I think uh, you'd, you'd have a tough time to argue. There's there's obviously great ones. Roman Yossi is a great one. Um, there's a there's a bunch of them. Yeah. But for me, if I had to go into a game seven, he's my guy, John Carlson. Perfect. Uh, best all around forward. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, you didn't think the questions were going to be this hard. No, they're, they're good questions. Um, and I've thought about it a lot. Um, I think it changes almost year to year, and it, it, it happens where a guy that I think is the best at the time might have an off year, and he two years later, he's, he's again the best. I think right now, um, all around every situation, um, I think Connor McDavid's tough to, to back off of. I think he's developing into a better defensive center. Um, he's killing penalties, which I think they tried to take away from him a little bit. Um, just obviously for fear of blocking shots, which I think he got hurt a couple years ago doing that. Um, but just his speed, um, the way he can distribute the puck, the way he can finish, um, the impact that he has on a game five on five on a power play. Um, I think it's pretty tough to argue that he's, he's, he's the guy. So you may have seen more of his shots than maybe anybody, um, Describe what it's like to be at ice level and watch Ovi take an absolute rip at one from the left circle. It's it sounds different and it looks different. That's all you can say from from ice level and even in practice. Um, I don't know how he shoots the puck that hard. Um, obviously, he's a strong human being. Um, his stick is perfectly tailored to how he wants to shoot the puck. Um, I, I've never seen anything like it. And I've seen guys that can shoot the puck a lot and it just, it's different. It's like a standing behind a, a golfer on the range at a, at a elite event. And some guys just have a different sound the way they hit the ball. And that's, that's what it's like for me. Um, and you have a pretty good idea whether it's going to go in or not just by the way the pass is, where it is, you know, his timing. Um, 
it's you know it's coming and i think the challenge is to stop it and nobody has has accepted that challenge consistently and that's where why he is where he is for sure and so we're talking about one of the elite uh goal scorers of all time and one last question about you know practice and everything how often is he practicing those one-timers uh in his spot it's in and out throughout the season i think the biggest thing with him is is if he doesn't get a lot of shots whether it's in games or or practices then he'll stay around and shoot and um I'm going to say it's, it's once a week for sure. You know, if you have say a three game week and, and three practice week, um, it's probably one of those, one of those days in practice that he's going to stick around and, and shoot. Um, but to be honest with you, he, he's so elite. He plays so many minutes. Um, it's so natural to him. He probably practices it a lot less than people would think. He's just that good at it when he, when he does it, mm-hmm. when his timing's on, um, he's good to go. So, uh, then the last question for that one is, uh, does he get past Wayne Gretzky by the end of his career? He's at, uh, Gretzky's at what, 894, and Ovi's at, uh, I don't know, 720, maybe Seven. somewhere in there? Yeah. I mean, I think if anyone would have asked me five years ago if he would still score 50 goals at this point, I would have said maybe, but I wouldn't have a, a real strong feeling, and, and he's done it, so... I, I don't put anything past this guy. I, I think he, he has the ability to, to score, you know, 50 goals for at least at least a few more seasons, um, you know, knock on wood that injuries stay away. Um, so now you're getting to a point where you're, you know, 40, 50 goals away and, and he's probably going to play. I'm, I'm hoping until he's, he's 40. So I think five years at, at that, and, you know, even if he has a couple 20-goal seasons at the end, he's going to get there. So, I mean, I, I'm hoping I'm here for it because I want to see it. Um, and I, I do think he's going he's gonna to have an opportunity to get there. Um, I, like I said, I might not have said that five years ago, but I, I honestly do know. Awesome, man. Well, look, Blaine, I really appreciate uh, you spending some time with me, man. It's great to catch up with you. Uh, wish uh, you and the family health and happiness. And uh, we definitely got to get out and tee it up now um, and, and see how things are going there. I'll take three aside is good. I'd be okay <laughs> with that. <laughs> golf is a brand new thing to me. So, uh, yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Well, uh, really appreciate it, buddy. I wish you and the team uh, best of luck when we get back to the, the next season here and getting back on the horse and getting, uh, we'll enjoy another Stanley cup run down, uh, down to DC. That'd be awesome to see. And thanks again for getting on here with me. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it. Anytime. thanks to Blaine Forsyth for joining me on the podcast. Lots of great information and knowledge there in the mind of an NHL coach who's been around for a long time and been at the top of the heap with a Stanley Cup championship. I think if you're a player, it's really interesting what he said. The best players in the world welcome skill work. They want to get better. These are the guys who have reached the top of the heap, yet they're constantly trying to improve. And then if you're a coach, finding out what makes a player tick and loving the challenge of coaching, trying to find the way to get the best out of your players. And also, staying in the moment. Imagine being one game away from the Stanley Cup and having the courage to stay with what you've been doing and focus in the moment so that you can reach the ultimate goal. Well, thanks again to Blaine. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today, and we'll see you next time on the Driving Improvement Podcast with Mark Russo. Take care.